It's time for the Brew and Shavers Sports Podcast. Coming at you every week to talk all the things that make us love sports. The games, the rivalries, and of course, the personalities. We are stoked that you are listening. Uh, we believe that you're more than listeners. Uh, to quote Brian Kelly, you're family. And we're glad that you're listening to us. Absolutely. Hey everybody, welcome back to a new episode of the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast. We are glad that you joined us today because we have so much late-breaking news. We, we could be like the weatherman interrupting whatever game or movie that you're watching on TV to tell you about the weather patterns and the bad weather that's coming. But that's how much news is out there right now in Absolutely. not just college football, but college basketball, Darren. And, and, and we want to start off with some pretty news that was pretty much expected. C.J. Stroud, the outstanding quarterback from Ohio State, announced uh, yesterday that he is going to the NFL. He'll probably be a top five pick, a great career at Ohio State. Yes. It's going to be a tough, he's going to be a tough one to, uh, to replace for the Buckeyes. Yeah, definitely. But like you said, this is not unexpected. And and if if we as casual fans are sitting here going, oh well, saw that coming, then then you know I, Ohio State is is in the same spot. Uh, this is not something that caught caught them off guard. But nonetheless, as you said, it is going to be a very difficult uh, circumstance for them to try to replace him. And over in uh, at TCU, Quentin Johnson, their outstanding wide receiver, over a thousand yards receiving this year. Their mm-hmm. starting running back, Kendra Miller. They are both gone, declared for the draft. We've already talked about how Max Duggan had already declared for the draft. So some pretty big losses for TCU, some big yes. holes to fill. Yeah, definitely. And that's, you know, I think if you're a TCU fan, that's got to be your biggest concern right now is, boy, obviously last year you caught lightning in a bottle. But how difficult is it going to be to utilize the transfer portal the same way they did last year and to recruit at a level that makes this this something that is sustainable and not just a one-off, which, you know, obviously everyone at TCU and TCU fans hoped, hope is the case. And also, I think it's good for college football if we have TCU-type schools that are able to sustain at a level that that it's not just a one-off. Year in and year out, they, they make a strong case for getting into the playoff. You mentioned the uh, transfer portal, Darren. The NCAA recently has has come out with a new rule uh, trying to get a handle on the amount of transfers that are happening. So, Darren, what what is the NCAA implementing? Well, you know, when the transfer portal came out as a part of NIA on everything, it was just basically a free-for-all. If you didn't like where you were in your current circumstance, you could transfer. And and the the logic behind that being – Coaches can do the same thing. You kind of get it. But at the same time, it became very quickly an uncontrollable circumstance. So I think the NCAA saw that writing on the wall, probably could even say quicker than would be typical for them. Uh, And they, this past week, handed down a ruling that says you can transfer, you can enter the transfer portal one time and become immediately eligible and transfer anywhere you want to without question and without any regulation. However, once you have entered the transfer portal that one time and transferred, the second time, if you enter the transfer portal, you can still transfer, but you will not be immediately eligible unless you can prove hardship. Uh, there's a circumstance where you need to be closer to home. If there's a personal uh, circumstance of some kind that necessitates leaving the current school, whatever the case is, if you can prove that hardship, you can be immediately eligible. Outside of that, you're going to have to set out a year like you used to have to do anytime you transferred. 
And I do see the point of coaches leave all the time, so players should be able to. But I also think this is kind of a fair rule. Everybody gets that one shot, and there's still an opportunity for a second time. It's just you got to go through a little bit more to get there. I don't think that's unfair at all. No, no. Um, Trying to find a solution to what we all see as a huge problem right now. Yes. So hopefully that will do what it's it's intended to do. Speaking of coaches moving around, like you just said, We've got quite a bit of news about that, but let's start with a coach who is actually staying. Jim Harbaugh's annual <laughs> flirtation with the NFL exactly. did not go anywhere. Actually, the president of Michigan yesterday announced that Jim Harbaugh is coming back to Michigan. There's rumors about an extension, a pay increase. Is, is this it for Harbaugh? Is he really committed to Michigan? Or are we going to go through this again next year? You know, you would like to say he's really committed, but at the same time, this is such an annual thing. I think this is basically a matter of the interviews didn't go well because we know the reports are that he had an interview with Denver, that he's had open conversations with Carolina. So it didn't look like what he wanted to jump into. So he's back at Michigan. Uh, And, you you know, it depends on who comes open next year. You hope that's not the case. He's an alumni there. He he should be invested in the program. But I I think what we know from all of this is ultimately he wants to be back in the NFL. And so I guess this is just going to be a year in, year out thing until either Michigan runs him off or he finds the NFL job that works. At at least that's the way it seems at this point. Well, we'll we'll just wait and see. Um, as the world turns. Exactly. <laughs> As the Harbaugh turns. That'll be one of our new segments, <laughs> we think. <laughs> In a coaching move that raised a few eyebrows, Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator at Alabama, has left to become the defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. Yeah, and, and you know, the reaction from from the Alabama faithful has been pretty interesting. I think for the most part, they're pretty excited or at least not disappointed that Pete Golding has has left. You know, his defenses have been in the top 10 in the nation year in and year out, the top two or three in the conference year in and year out, but it just didn't seem to be a fit for whatever reason. You know, the old saying is, be careful what you wish for, uh, because Pete Golding is now gone and, and a lot of the Alabama faithful got exactly what they were looking for. However, It's kind of a mixed bag of news when it comes to who might be next uh, to be the D coordinator for Alabama. Now, what most people consider to be the leading candidate is the current uh, D coordinator or associate D coordinator at Georgia, and his name is Glenn Schumann. He was at Alabama with Kirby Smart. He was actually, uh, he's an Alabama alumni. He uh, was a student assistant, a graduate assistant. So there's a lot of Alabama connections there. Most people think that's ultimately who will be the offer the job and he would most likely accept it, but that's not a for sure thing. So the other name that seems to be making the circles uh, is none other than uh, every Tennessee fan's favorite football coach, uh, Jeremy Pruitt. <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, the, the conversations are already happening that 90% of what he was found to be guilty of from an NCAA standard is no longer illegal. So what's the issue? He had incredible defenses when he was at Alabama. So that'll be interesting to watch to see if he ends up being an option to take or if uh, Glenn Schumann ends up being the one that takes the job, which most people believe that's the case, but it is still interesting to see Jeremy Pruitt's name pop up. 
Yeah, but you know, we were surprised that Hugh Freeze's name popped up. Exactly, uh, exactly. We were surprised I, that Bobby Petrino's name popped up. <laughs> you know what? In a year that Bobby Petrino and Jimbo were working together, maybe we shouldn't be surprised about anything. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's a sign of the apocalypse <laughs> that we've missed. I think it very well may be. If I'm living in 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 uh, College Station and I see a bunch of locusts, I'm going to get concerned. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, some big news out of TCU, and again, not good. Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator, that did a, a really great job yes, with the absolutely. Horned Frogs, is has left to go be the offensive coordinator at Clemson. So not only do you lose a lot of your firepower in terms of offensive players, starters, now you lose your offensive yep. coordinator. Yep. What does this mean for Clemson, and what does this mean for TCU? Uh, for TCU, for starters, it, it goes back to the exact same we just talked about. Is what they did this past year sustainable? Can you continue to recruit not only from your player, but from a staff perspective to maintain the level that you were at? Because that's a big loss to lose the, oh, the offensive mind of, of Garrett Riley. From Clemson's point of view, I think the most notable thing about this is Dabo has been pretty stubborn year in and year out about two things. Number one, he is loyal to assistance almost to a fault, most people would say. It takes a lot for him to tell an assistant it's time for you to go or to uh, allow an assistant to leave mutual parting of the ways. The other thing he's equally as stubborn about is he's a big, big believer in hiring from within. The largest majority of the people on that staff that are in upper level positions, either coordinators, associate coordinators, uh, you know, associate head coaches, whatever those titles are, they have come up through the Clemson ranks. They were hired early and have stayed for a long time. So this is a pretty big departure for him to have an assistant be fired, to a coordinator to be fired, hire from outside the ranks. And this is an offensive philosophy change. So it's going to be a real interesting thing to watch next season. To me, if I'm a Clemson fan, this fires me up because everything about it looks different, but different in a positive way. I'm pretty excited if I'm a Clemson fan. It also shows that that Dabo, I know sometimes he gets knocked for his unwillingness to change. Mm-hmm. He's shown that he's 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 willing to, to give it a yep. shot. And, and, you know, I think that's the one thing you can say. He seems to be self-aware enough and have a long enough, or have a big enough desire to stay and be one of those guys that sustains something for, for many, many years. I think he watches and, and sees what goes on in Alabama and the changes there. A lot of the things like hiring Lane Kiffin, they said that's something that don't ever happen in Alabama. Yet nonetheless, here, you know, it happened and, and those things have continued. So I think Dabo is willing to watch and, and learn those lessons watching someone else do it and, and be willing to make those same changes. So I think that's a really good point that he's showing that he's willing to change and adapt in order to continue to grow and sustain the growth or, or the level that they are at, they're at. And going back to Alabama, some other news out of Alabama, and that's Charles Kelly, the associate defensive coordinator and safety mm-hmm. coach has left Alabama to go to Colorado, hired by new coach Deion Sanders uh, to be the Buffalo defensive coordinator and safeties coach. 
Uh, what's this mean for both those schools? It seems to be a great mover for Colorado. To me, if I'm a Colorado fan, it's a little scary because you're hiring someone to be a coordinator that never has. Uh, and obviously that has to happen in order for there to be new coordinators. But to me, that's always a little bit scary. But on, on the other hand, this is a name that has circled not only in the coordinator ranks, but in head coaching. There's been a couple of jobs that he's applied for or been interviewed for as a head coach that uh, over the last, I would say, two to three seasons, uh, so so he's obviously a name that has a lot of respect associated with it and gets a lot of attention. So it seems to be a good pull for Colorado. I think from an Alabama perspective, as much as he's been interviewing over the last two or three years and as much attention as he's got in, gotten in coaching circles, again, this is not a surprise to them. Uh, you know, Nick Saban, I believe I saw Monday that the D coordinator from uh, Southern Miss has been hired to the Alabama staff, but no position was named for him. So I would assume he's probably going to be some type of associate defensive coordinator and you know, probably the defensive backs coach, something like that. So it didn't take long for that to happen, but good for that move and good for Colorado. Yeah, yeah. We will We will see. Uh, Dion has certainly uh, been busy at work putting his staff together. Yes, absolutely. And, and we have one more uh, coaching change, and that is uh, Kevin Barbe, the uh, assistant coach or the offensive coordinator, I should say, at App State, has left uh, the Mountaineers to go to Oxford and join Lane Kiffin as the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss. No, he's at Mississippi State. Oh, Mississippi yes. State, I'm sorry. That makes more sense. <laughs> and I apologize because I know I don't want to get in the middle of the feuding in the state of if, Mississippi. If Charlie but, Weiss Jr. is listening to this, he really just panicked. Just for the- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we'll miss his set yeah, right I there. Think I think so. they're in is this going to get away from the uh, the Mike Leach offensive philosophy, or is it going to be a continuance of it? What, what do you see here? I, it will not be air raid unless you have Mike Leach or someone off the Mike Leach tree. I don't know you, how you even attempt that. But but I think the thing that, that I've seen the most about this hire is uh, this guy is seen as a an offensive uh, genius, very cutting edge, willing to take a lot of risk, willing to do some things from different formations and different moves than other people are willing to do. So even though it won't look like the air raid necessarily, I think there will be a lot of philosophical components that will be the same. And obviously, I would assume knowing that Will Rogers is coming back, the number one thing that Zach Arnett was looking for was, I got to find a guy that wants to throw the ball because we got a guy that can throw it. Uh, so I, you know, I would assume that's going to yeah. be the one component that will fit throughout no matter what it looks like. Well, we have some sad news yeah. coming out of Georgia. Uh, some really tough times. Uh, the the Bulldogs, a, a second consecutive national championship, they're still celebrating. But then there's heartbreaking news with the uh, the recent accident on a Sunday morning, uh, taking um, uh, the lives of uh, an offensive lineman and a recruiting coordinator, and injuring another offensive lineman and another recruiting coordinator. Darren, what what do you know about this? Uh, obviously an extremely sad situation. You know, there was a lot of social media attention on Saturday because they had their parade and everything to celebrate. And uh, then, then there was a, all we know right now is a single car accident that ended up costing the lives of Devin Willick and, and Chandler LaCroix. Victoria Bowl 
uh, was the other recruiting staff member. She's still in the hospital in serious condition, but Warren McClendon, the other offensive lineman that was in the car, had minor injuries and has already been released from the hospital. So we know he and uh, his family and, of course, the Georgia family are, are thankful for that, uh, that that's at least kind of the one bright light in, in the midst of such heartache that, that at least one person was able to be released from the hospital. But as you said, obviously a very heartbreaking situation. Uh, so much good going on for Georgia right now. And to have this kind of a gut punch, you, you got to feel for uh, the families and, and, and everyone involved in this. A very sad circumstance. Yeah, definitely. Our thoughts and prayers are Absolutely. with, with uh, the families of, of all those involved. Absolutely. Uh, some sad news also out of Tuscaloosa, but not with the football program, but with the basketball program. Mm-hmm. And that is... Darius Miles, a player on the team, recently ankle injury. He was going to miss the season. Uh, was arrested in connection to the murder of a of a of a, a young lady a few days ago. And what are you hearing about this, Darren? It's just it's very very heartbreaking. Of course, number one, first and foremost, uh, the the young lady that that was killed. Uh, you know, as you said, thoughts and prayers for her and her family. But to see someone like Darius Mills. Uh, that has all this opportunity in front of him, uh, is there at Alabama playing basketball, obviously is very talented, had a ton of opportunity in front of him. And the reason it's being called a capital murder is because it was shots fired into a vehicle in, in a street. The early reports are there was some kind of confrontation that took place between the occupants in the two cars. And this was the end result. And that's just very, very tragic from every angle uh, that something can escalate to that level. And and now this the, the young lady in the car has lost her life. And obviously, just tragic circumstances for everyone else involved. And I think I said Darius Mills is actually Darius Miles. Nice. I can't read my own writing, <laughs> which means I probably should should just type up all my notes instead of doing the... The old school, I'm going to, to make my own handwritten notes. I think I said Mills as well. So yeah, I think I was a bad influence <laughs> on this, so I'll, I'll, I'll take the fall for that. Also, um, some news that isn't quite as breaking, but it's breaking to us at the show. We haven't talked about it yet. Uh, the, the saga with Chris Beard, mm-hmm. the head coach at Texas men's basketball, has come to an end. Uh, Texas has relieved him of his duties in connection to the incident with his fiance. The um, I don't know if it was called assault. Yeah. I know there was some evidence that he tried to strangle right, her. Right. I, I don't know. He put his hands on her. Uh, he crossed the line. And we talked about is Texas going to do the right thing here? And it, it appears that they, they stepped yeah. up and, and, and did the right thing. Yeah, and again, just like we talked about, just with the other uh, circumstance, obviously we're not talking about a capital murder in this situation, but still something sad to see uh, for all involved. And like you said, Texas did the right thing. Uh, obviously, we feel like they had no choice but to for it to end up this way. And I think they've named an associate head coach as the interim head coach, and they'll just try to complete their season the best they can at this point. Of course, they're having a pretty good season. You hate it for the players, but maybe they can continue on and continue to have a great season. Yeah. We've still got football going on, even though the college football season has come to an end, and that's the NFL playoffs before we move into mm-hmm. the USFL, which you are the official spokesperson of that league. <laughs> but um, some really good games so far in the oh, NFL yeah. playoffs. They were all close except for, I think, um, the Niners pulled away from the Seahawks. Yeah. Uh, but as you, as, you, as you look at these games, the Niners beating Seattle, the Giants pulling off an upset in Minnesota. Buffalo holding off a pesky Miami team. 
Cincinnati battling a division foe in Baltimore, playing them for the third time, which (laughs) you don't want to do that. And Jacksonville with a monumental comeback against the Chargers. And you think about these, these games that we've seen already, what, what really stood out to you, Darren? Any any one thing in particular? First thing that I have to is somebody that loved the, the sport of football growing up and played you know, O-line and D-line all of my life. To see a D-lineman <laughs> grab a football and run 98 yards and, and be the winning touchdown, you know, I will watch that every day <laughs> of the week. So I absolutely love that in the Cincinnati game. And man, that game was so much fun. And then the other thing that you have to point out is, boy, a down 27 to nothing and you win the game. Who saw that coming? Yeah. You know, I guess good for the Jaguars, man. That's that's a pretty incredible story. Yeah, quite a, quite a turnaround. Doug Peterson is an incredible coach. Yep. Um, yep. I'd like to know what he said to them at halftime, but, but what a oh, comeback. Yeah. The Sam Hubbard's return, you know, here's a guy that played his high school football in Cincinnati, uh, went to Ohio mm-hmm. State, played football. Now he plays for the Bengals. Yep, so, yep. so basically, he's kind of a hometown hero, and and that exactly. return was was just magnificent. He actually broke oh, Andy Russell, a linebacker from the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think he had a 93-yard fumble return for a yep. touchdown against the Houston mm-hmm. Oilers. Do you remember the Houston Oilers? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so Sam Hubbard now holds the record. And like you said, Darren, it was it ended up being the deciding score in the game. It was a fun game to watch from, from beginning to end. I, I, one of the things that stuck out to me was, um, I think out of all the teams in the playoffs, I think the 49ers scare me the most. They, they are so yeah. well-rounded on both sides of the ball. They're yep. playing well, yep. and I think they're going to be a tough out. But, you know, I also got to say on the other side of the spectrum from the AFC, if I'm anybody in the AFC, there's just something about this Buffalo team and everything they've been through that feels like a one of those team of destiny kind of things. So so I, I'm not looking forward to facing them at any point if I'm the opposing team. No, no. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So this coming week, uh, Saturday, we have um, – Jacksonville is going to Kansas City. Uh, the Giants are going to Philadelphia, which is facing a division foe. Uh, anything mm-hmm. can happen there. Uh, Cincinnati is traveling to Buffalo. As of our recording, we did not yet have a final score on the Tampa Bay and Dallas game, but wh- whoever wins that game will be traveling to face the, uh, the 49ers. So it should be another good weekend of football. Before we get to our five best preseason college football picks from this past year, let's pause for this week in sports history. January 17, 1916, a group of golf professionals and several leading amateur golfers gather at the Taplow Club in New York City in a meeting that will result in the founding of the Professional Golfers Association, or PGA. This was the first of several meetings held over the next several months, and on April 10, 1916, the PGA was officially established with 35 charter members. Wanamaker proposed that the newly formed organization hold an annual tournament and offered to donate money for a trophy and prize fund. In October, the first annual PGA championship took place at the Silminoy Country Club in Bronxville, New York. James M. Barnes defeated Jock Hutchinson in the championship match, 
taking home the trophy and a purse of $2,580. Oh, thank you. So as an added bonus for this episode, we thought we'd go back and look at picks that we made preseason for what we felt like were going to be some can't-miss college football games this year. Now, we didn't always get this right. Some of us made some (laughs) bad picks. One of us picked Penn State and Auburn as being one of the games to watch. That did not prove to be the case. So, uh, but... Hey, he who lives in glass houses should not throw stones. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. So, Darren, where did where did we get it right? What were the five games that that we did get it right? Let me say this first. Since you threw yourself under the bus, I'll do the same. I also picked Georgia versus Oregon, a final score of forty nine to three. So that may have been a miss. <laughs> Well, let's start. Let's actually start in the Big 12. Before the season even started, we both picked each five games, so a total of 10 from the Big 12 and the SEC that we thought would be can't miss games throughout the process of the season. And, and we want to pull from those at least a couple that we really, really hit on. Obviously, as, as we've said, we didn't necessarily hit on all of them, but a couple that really, really hit. And, and for you, Ben, the very first one you brought up because you were so excited about the backyard brawl coming back was Pitt versus West Virginia. And that game from beginning to end did not disappoint. Pitt ended up winning it. And the final score was 38 to 31. And, and it was down to that last minute to see if was West Virginia going to be able to, to to at least tie the game. You know, there was a good drive there. It was a it was a reintroduction or for some people an introduction to the backyard brawl that did not disappoint. It, you felt all of that excitement of the backyard brawls of the past. Yeah, it was a thrill to see that rivalry come back. Interestingly, Darren, both those teams are going to have different quarterbacks this coming season. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Not because it'll be a little bit of a difference. The transfer portal. <laughs> Hence the reason there's new rules. But anyway, <laughs> the other one that we really hit on from uh, the Big Twelve, uh, I chose Baylor versus Oklahoma. Now, honestly, at the time this happened, there wasn't an enormous amount of excitement around the game because of what was going on with both teams and how their seasons were going. But it ended up being a very exciting game that was kind of not what you. Would would expect when you talk about these two teams with Brent Venables and Dave Aranda, you're thinking maybe a defensive battle, but it was not that. The final score was 38-35, exciting down to the, the the final horn. It was a fun, fun game to watch with a whole lot of offense. So, so we hit on that one as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a great pick that you made. It turned out to be a, a really fun game to watch. Now, in the SEC we had a couple of picks that that were rather obvious and then our, our third one that is not one necess- that necessarily is obvious but but we thought it was a good hit and, and wanted to remind people of it first of all was LSU versus Florida State we talked a lot about that game because it was the first game of Brian Kelly it was going to be in New Orleans obviously there was going to be a huge LSU crowd man if you're an LSU fan there were some disappointing moments and it's hard to believe that people that have been playing football as long as these guys have have, could have that much trouble holding on to a football. But nonetheless, even with that disappointment on both sides, even with that disappointment on both sides, the final score ended up being 24-23. And I mean, it was a barn burner. 
everything that could happen happened during the process of that game, sometimes twice. Uh, But it it did not disappoint. Everything was left on the field. It was truly a can't miss. And and what a way to kick off the season for for both of these schools. Yeah, it it was. And it had a little bit of everything. You know, LSU, as an LSU fan, there were times I was in shock. Like, how can LSU be playing this poorly? These are basic You know, you you field the ball on a on a punt on a kickoff, and then it's like at the end, it's like LSU has a chance to to tie or to win. Then they score, they mm-hmm. go for the extra point to tie it, and then your heart gets ripped out. It's all part of the beauty yep. of college football. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> it had everything you're looking for in a game if you're just watching the game as an observer. <laughs> Now, another game uh, that, that, Ben, you called this one, uh, you said it was actually the first game you mentioned when we started talking SEC was Alabama-Texas. Yeah. The thing that made this a new really interesting pick is most pundits, for lack of a better term, were thinking this game was going to be a blowout. Uh, but you said it was going to be a can't-miss game, a fun game to watch, uh, even though uh, Alabama looked to be the stronger team going into the season, and and you were spot on. The final score, 20-19. to 19. It came down, to, again, to you know missed field goals and, and uh, starting quarterbacks being heard and you know all the different things that, that make up a fun college football game. Again, not a boring moment uh, between these two teams uh, during the entirety of this game. Again, with the final score being Alabama twenty, Texas nineteen. Yeah, that was a, that was another good one, and uh, that was before uh, Sarkeesian just lost his mind and started uh, yelling obscenities at staffers. But hey, um, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll take it. And, and and knocking down bowl bowl staffers, <laughs> right? Exactly. Oh my. Our final game, again, Ben, was one of your picks. And you, when you talked about this pick, you said, pay close attention to Georgia-Kentucky because there are some elements there that could make this a fun game to watch. Now, as the season went on uh, and Kentucky season took the many negative turns that it took, it did not look like this game was going to be anything close to must-see TV. However... When the two teams met on the field, Kentucky had a home field advantage. Georgia had hit a little bit of a skid for Georgia, not not necessarily a skid in in normal terms, but for Georgia. And the final score of this game ended up being 16-6, to and it it really had more to do with Kentucky beating themselves and their offense continuing to fall apart than it did with Georgia beating Kentucky. You really kind of held on thinking, is Georgia, is Kentucky going to be able to put together a couple of drives and, and win this game? It really looked like that for for quite a bit of the game. So yes, the final score was a ten point difference with sixteen to six Georgia winning. But it was a much more exciting game than anybody anticipated uh, between these two, especially where they were in their seasons. It, it was a very exciting game to watch. Yeah, and, and a few plays here and there, and um, yep. the rest of the season would have a very different ending. Georgia would not have not have been Absolutely. in the college football playoff. But then you look at how Kentucky went the other way. They just <laughs> totally fell apart at the end of the season. And I know Mark Stoops has a, a lot of work to do this off season to get them back yeah. going again. And, uh, and they've, they've already made offensive stats changes, new, new offensive coordinator, everything. Yeah. Yep. So that's our five. Uh, as you said, we did miss on a few, but those are our five that we really, really hit on and that we wanted to go back and at least talk about for a few minutes. You know, those are some exciting games. And, and like you said, part of what makes college football really exciting, games like that. 
Yeah, one minute you're up, one minute you're down, one minute you're shouting yeah. and cheering, the next minute you're crying, <laughs> your heart's broken. Yeah. And we love it all. We love it all. Yes. We, you know, the, the wins, the losses, the good plays, the bad plays, the personalities. That's what we cover on this podcast every yep. week, and we love talking about it. And we love that you love hanging out with us for, a, a you know, mm-hmm. 30, 40 minutes every week while we talk about football. So thank you so much for, for listening to, to the show. Uh, we're going to continue with some uh, special uh, segments coming up as we, we move into the college basketball season, but we will stay abreast of all the college football news as well as what's happening in NFL playoffs and uh, gear up for Darren's uh, weekly reports on the USFL, which is coming back for another year. It is, and we also have the XFL this year, so there will be dueling spring leagues. That will be an interesting (laughs) thing to watch. There will be all kinds of football. The football wives that think, oh, all i got to do is just get through the fall, they're going to be really disappointed this spring. Thanks again for listening to the show. Remember, new episodes drop every Tuesday at 6 a.m. You can listen to us at any time on any podcast platform. And until next week, y'all take care. Have a great week. Thank you for making the Brew and Shaver Sports Podcast your go-to sports show. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show if you haven't already. Your feedback is so important. Let us know what you think about this week's show. Send an email to brewandshavers at gmail.com or a text to our text line 318-390-3599. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again for listening to the Brew and Shavers Sports Podcast. See you next week.